read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. A recent misguided ruling by a Texas federal judge sought to end the access American women have enjoyed for more than two decades to the safe and effective abortion medication known as Mifepristone. Fortunately, the Supreme Court has, at least for the time being, stayed the ruling. But as I was reminded in a conversation I had this week with North Carolina Congresswoman Kathy Manning, the stakes in this case go well beyond reproductive rights. Fortunately, as I also learned, Manning is working hard in this and several other arenas to champion access to health care for all and to resist efforts to use the federal debt ceiling debate as an excuse to slash core services like public education. Well, Congresswoman Kathy Manning, welcome back to News and Views. Thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. I want to start with a story that's at the top of the headlines, and that was the Supreme Court ruling last week on Mifepristone, the abortion pill which um, I guess for now keeps on hold a rather remarkably brazen ruling by a Texas district court judge appointed by Donald Trump that really called into question and potentially undermined the nation's drug approval process. I wonder what your thoughts are on the court's ruling and and the general issue of access to reproductive freedom uh, in, in light of it. Well, I think you have appropriately called the Texas judge's opinion brazen. Look, I believe that women should have the freedom to decide whether when and with whom to have children. And it's clear from what we've seen in the midterms and in more recent elections that the American people also believe that abortion care should be available. This Texas judge has substituted his own extreme political ideology for medical science. And he has revoked a 23-year-old approval of mifepristone by the FDA, he's done it in order to effectively enact a nationwide abortion ban. And we just have to keep in mind, mifepristone went through a five-year clinical trial before it was approved by the FDA. The approval process the FDA has is the gold standard for approval of medication. But he determined that he knew the science better than the FDA, revoked the approval of mifepristone, even though it's been taken safely and effectively for 23 years by more than 5 million Americans. It is an outrageous decision. And the Fifth Circuit did a little bit better, but really not much better. It also stepped into the shoes of the FDA. And the Supreme Court has put things on hold. But of course, we're very concerned because we know the political and ideological leanings of the majority of this Supreme Court. And we are going to continue to fight until we make sure that women's reproductive freedom choices are protected and also that doctors can provide their patients with the medical care that their patients need. I believe you introduced a resolution to reaffirm the FDA's authority to approve medication of this kind in in the U.S. House. Exactly. We introduced a resolution to affirm the approval of mifepristone and uh, even equally important to affirm the authority of the FDA to approve medication. And as you probably saw, there was a letter that came out shortly after this Texas judge's opinion that was authored by 400 executives from the pharmaceutical and biotech industries decrying the decision by this Texas judge because it would upend 
the authority of the FDA. And it would really destabilize our, our process for approving medications. If any group can file a lawsuit and challenge the FDA's approval of a medication, there are all kinds of medications that could be put at risk. Vaccines, cancer medications, any any medication that someone could allege was discovered with Stelsem research. There's no limit to what could happen to our FDA approval process, how renegade groups could try to pull medications off the market. This would put people's lives at risk. It could introduce incredible instability into our drug approval process, and it could make uh, investors less likely to invest in innovative drug research that could provide cures, future cures for diseases that that are really deadly and, and can ruin people's lives. This is a terrible decision, and it must be overturned. Yeah, it really feels as if it's almost putting our healthcare in the hands of sort of kooks out there with all kinds of wacky theories they could bring into court. And uh, we'll just keep our fingers crossed that the Supreme Court, even this Supreme Court, does the right thing. I mean, this is, of course, not the only um, subject that's being debated in the reproductive freedom world these days. Here in North Carolina, the legislature now talking about uh, enacting a a great reduction, a restriction on abortion rights. You know, it seems very close and up in the air as to how that's going to come out. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. I think it's really frightening. I think what we could see is our state legislature enacting a ban that would prevent women from seeking abortions unless they sought an abortion before the time that most women even know they're pregnant. You just wonder if some of these legislators understand how women's bodies really work. And they certainly don't understand what the American people want, because I think the the last election demonstrated that people want the freedom to control their own reproductive decisions. And the other thing that I think they don't take into consideration is this would be impacting the, the care that women who experience miscarriages could have, and it would affect the way doctors can treat those patients. And these are women who are going through terribly traumatic situations. This would put their lives at risk, and we've already seen that happen in states that have enacted total abortion bans. So we need to put the health and the safety and the lives of women ahead of extreme political ideology. We're talking with North Carolina's 6th District Congresswoman Kathy Manning about a lot of things, including reproductive freedom and women's health. And one issue when we talk about women's health is maternal health, access to maternal health care services, which is another issue I know you've uh, championed in Washington. Tell us about what's going on there. This is a critically important issue. Our rate of maternal death is the highest of the developed countries. And women of color have a three times greater risk of dying, having pregnancy-related deaths than white women. This is totally unacceptable. And we have got to be doing more in our healthcare system to make sure that all women have the right outcome during pregnancy. I have supported a number of bills to improve access to health care for pregnant women. I've also introduced a bill right now, a pregnant woman who needs Medicaid coverage can get coverage during her pregnancy and for 60 days after pregnancy. For any woman who has been pregnant, she will understand that they need care for longer than that. So my bill would, would increase that coverage to the full postpartum year. And we hope that this would help improve the maternal mortality rates. 
this is something that we should all be concerned about. We want healthy mothers, we want healthy babies, and we need to take steps to make sure that everyone uh, has access to the health care they need when they're pregnant for their full postpartum year, regardless of race, color, economic ability. We need to make sure that we have healthy babies and healthy moms. Absolutely. One issue, of course, that uh, could have an impact on this and a lot of other core human services in our country is the debt ceiling showdown that's taking place now in the House with Speaker McCarthy calling for really draconian cuts in an array of core services and structures. We got a fact sheet yesterday from the White House that showed that North Carolina alone would suffer remarkable cuts in terms of special education dollars, debt relief for students. I wonder what your thoughts are on this debt ceiling showdown and how we're going to get past it. Is there any compromise possible? How's it going to play out, do you think? So here's the thing that I think people have to realize. This whole debt ceiling issue, this is about paying our bills. This is money that we have already spent. And what Kevin McCarthy is trying to do is hold us hostage and threaten that the United States of America will not pay its debt, pay the bills that it's already incurred so that he can then take money away from hungry people, take funding away for educating the most vulnerable of our children. And it's a very strange kind of hostage taking. This country is dependent on our financial stability. Frankly, the entire world is dependent on the financial stability of the United States. We need to pay our bills. And if we want to discuss future spending, that's a different story. President Biden continues to stand strong on that issue. It'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. Uh, Speaking of President Biden, just announced this week he's running for a second term. And when you look at the amount of success he's had in the first 27 months in office and compare to where we were in January of 2021 with a free-falling economy, a raging pandemic, foreign policy in disarray, it's been a pretty remarkably successful 27 months he's had. And uh, I wonder what your thoughts on his second term uh, coming you, forward you in just, the years ahead. You've just made the case. I think if you were to look at what we have accomplished under President Biden's leadership, it is absolutely extraordinary. Thanks to uh, what we have done in Congress with President Biden, we got this country through the pandemic. We had the best economic recovery of any country in the world. We've got people back to work. We kept people from being thrown out of their homes and losing their businesses. That alone is remarkable. But we then passed the largest infrastructure investment that this country has ever had since the 1950s. And we have had, I believe, more than 4,600 bridges have already been repaired. We are investing in infrastructure that has needed repair for years and years and years, this president has gotten it done. We also have invested with the Chips and Science Act, we are investing in bringing critical manufacturing back to this country. During the pandemic, we all saw what happened when we couldn't get access to the semiconductor chips that the average American now knows is required for their cell phone, for their washing machine, for their automobile. And this, we've had enormous investment. The funding that was made available through the Chips and Science Act has resulted in, I think, three times more private money going into investments in chips manufacturing and other kinds of manufacturing back here in the US. This is another extraordinary achievement. And then of course the Inflation Reduction Act is the biggest investment 
in climate remediation that we've ever had in this country. And as somebody said to me today, you know, if you try to tell a farmer that there's no such thing as climate change, that farmer will know that you're lying. So this investment in in, uh, clean energy is critically important, but the Inflation Reduction Act also took on healthcare costs. And we now have for seniors health of the cost of insulin has been capped at $35 a month. And lo and behold, two of the major manufacturers of insulin have recently announced that they're going to cap the cost of insulin for everybody to $35. So reducing healthcare costs, something critically important that we have achieved. We are hopefully going to do more in that front, but we got things started with the Inflation Reduction Act. So if you look at what has been accomplished, broadband, I forgot to mention broadband, (laughs) which we now realize that access to broadband is essentially like having access to the federal highway system back in the 50s. If you don't have access to broadband, your kids can't learn, you can't run your small businesses, you can't communicate with the world. So there are major accomplishments that have been made under President Biden's leadership. And you talked about rebuilding our alliances overseas. The president has managed to repair relationships that were in tatters after the last president and has held the world together in fighting against this appalling war of aggression that Putin has started by by invading and frankly destroying another democratic country. So there are many things that have been accomplished under the President Biden's leadership. We're coming to the end of our time with Congresswoman Kathy Manning, and I want to touch on a, another subject. It's a bit of a sobering subject, but an incredibly important one, and that is the disturbing rise of anti-Semitism in our country in many places. We've even had public officials, a candidate for governor in North Carolina who's made anti-Semitic remarks on multiple occasions. I know you've been speaking out against this, and uh, it's an important topic. I wonder if you maybe could share just a moment of thoughts on that as well. The rise of anti-Semitism in this country over the past few years has been chilling. We have seen not only the increase in anti-Semitic comments, and uh, anti-Semitic leaflets, but we've seen attacks on Jewish people in the streets. We have seen people gunned down in their places of worship. We've seen things that I never thought we would see in this country. And what people have to understand is that what starts on attacks on Jews never ends there. It always goes on to other minorities, other people who are deemed as different from the the mainstream. And this is a very frightening thing that has happened. The FBI hate crime statistics, after my committee, I am a co-chair of the House Bipartisan Task Force to Combat Anti-Semitism. And after our committee asked the FBI to go back and get more complete data, the original report didn't have complete data. They came back to us and, and I give the FBI great credit. And their 2021 report showed a 20% increase in anti-Semitism from 2020 to 2021. There is another report that's come out by the Anti-Defamation League that showed a 36% rise in anti-Semitism from 2021 to 2022. And a most recent study that was done showed that 41% of American Jews feel unsafe and have experienced anti-Semitism. This is absolutely unacceptable in the United States, and it puts our fundamental democracy at risk. So this is something we should be, we should all be concerned about. And frankly, it should be the responsibility 
of our government to address this issue. And I'm pleased to say that President Biden has, we requested, and he has he has put together an all-of-government interagency task force to combat anti-Semitism. And there is very serious work being done to create a national strategy to combat anti-Semitism. And it's critically important that we, we take this job on and that we do better going forward. Congresswoman Kathy Manning represents North Carolina's 6th District in Congress. We're so lucky to have you there, Congresswoman, and so honored that you'd spend some time with us today. Please take care and keep up the good work, and I hope we can talk later this year. Thank you so much. Always happy to talk with you. Coming up next, an update on the North Carolina General Assembly from a rare state lawmaker who's willing to think outside the box. Don't go away.